All right, so last month we kicked off a new series on Hebrews called Christ is Better. And tonight we're looking at Hebrews chapter 3, so you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. And while you turn there, I want to briefly recap our introduction to Hebrews last month. So we talked about last month the point of Hebrews, which is really a sermon written down for us. The point of it is these practical warnings and exhortations to not turn away, to not give in to unbelief, to persist in having faith. And what he does throughout this letter is he compares Christ to everything else we might be tempted to trust in. And he wants to show how much better Jesus is than everything else. And the reason he's doing that is so that we'll trust in him and we won't run to other things and put our trust in them. So last month we talked about how Christ is better than angels. And as we go out throughout this sermon, we're going to talk about how Christ's covenant, the new covenant, is better than the old covenant. That Christ is a better priest than the Old, the old Testament priest. Christ is better than Moses. Christ's sacrifice is a better sacrifice than the sacrifice of animals over and over and over. And we said the point of this sermon is since the work of Christ is so great, it would be folly to turn away from him. That's what, the, that's what this pastor, when he wrote this sermon, is trying to communicate to his congregation. Since the work of Christ is so great, it would be folly to turn away from him and put our trust in anything else. And that same formula is what we're going to see in our text today, which is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So let's read this. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 13. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He's better than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, this is verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And here's the point. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil 
unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is God's word for us tonight. Take care lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. Let me start by asking you this question. Who are your heroes? Think about that for a minute. If you had to answer that question, who are your heroes or who is your hero, how would you answer that? I read a survey that interviewed all kinds of kids from different ages. Young kids most often said that their parents or their teachers were their heroes. Sometimes third place behind mom and dad and a teacher was a superhero, was usually in third place. And right now the leading superhero is Spider-Man, which made me wonder which Spider-Man is their hero. Is it like the new cool Spider-Man or the emotionally unstable Spider-Man from several years ago or like the kind of weak and pathetic Spider-Man, you know? But Spider-Man got number three. As kids transition to teenagers, your guys' age, and actually who their heroes are changes according to this survey. It increasingly becomes celebrities. When teenagers were asked who their heroes were, the number one answer, 75% of teens, three out of four teens, named an athlete as their hero. And these are the people that they look up to. Now what was interesting about this survey While at the same time they said athletes were their heroes, almost all of those surveyed agreed that their heroes have significant deficiencies. They agreed that their heroes get angry, argue, cheat, often use steroids, they said, trash-talked and taunted others, boasted in their wealth or how great they were, and yet they continued to look up to these individuals. The question in Hebrews tonight is, who's the best hero? Who should we strive to be like? Who should we look up to? And in verse 1, he has a very simple answer for us tonight. Consider Jesus. And I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer. Who's your hero? Jesus. Who's the greatest? You know, Jesus is the answer to everything in your children's ministry classrooms. But really... The answer is Jesus tonight. He really is the greatest. That's the point. He is the hero. And his first thing he wants to tell these believers is he wants them to know that Jesus is greater than Moses, which is our first point tonight. Jesus is greater than Moses. Remember throughout this sermon, he keeps showing how great Jesus is, how much better Christ is. And he wants them to know Jesus is greater than Moses. For first century Jews, Moses was their hero. Moses was the greatest of the Old Testament servants of God. You guys probably know a lot about Moses, but just to remind you, he led the people of God in the greatest redemptive moment in the Old Testament, the Exodus. Remember, the Lord sent Moses to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. Moses saw the burning bush where God spoke to him. He confronted Pharaoh. He performed miracles. He led the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea when it was parted to Mount Sinai where God, you know, encompassed the mountain in thunder and a cloud and spoke to him face to face where God gave him the Ten Commandments and 
There's one section where it says that God let his glory pass before Moses. Remember, he put him in the cleft of the rock. And Moses came down from being with God. And they said his, his face shone because of the glory of God that he had seen. Moses was the greatest of the Old Testament heroes. And he's telling us Jesus is better. Moses was a man. Jesus is the God-man. Moses was a sinner. You may remember throughout Numbers that Moses isn't allowed to enter into the promised land because of his sin. Jesus is without sin. Moses led the people out of slavery from the Egyptians, but Jesus leads his people out of slavery to sin. And he frees us from the wrath and punishment of God for our sins. I love this analogy in verse 3 of our text where he talks about a house. Where Moses, he says, Moses is a member of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. He gets more glory. Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus is the son. It made me think about when I read that about Moses being a member, but Jesus is the son. It reminded me of the transfiguration. Do you remember this moment? Um, you can read about it in Matthew 17 where Jesus goes up onto a mountain and he takes Peter and James and John up the mountain with him. And it says that Jesus transfigured before them. That his face shone like the sun and his clothes were transformed to be pure white. And when they looked up, they saw two people speaking to Jesus. Do you guys remember who was talking with Jesus on the mountain? Does anybody remember? Who was it? I hear whispers. You guys know it. I hope it's Moses and Elijah. You don't have to raise your hand. It's not school, John. Thank you. Though. I appreciate that. John's being respectful. I can't talk unless you call on me, you know. It was Moses and Elijah. And remember, they were sitting there speaking to Jesus. So you do have this scene in the Bible where Jesus and Moses are together. Think about that. I remember Peter you know, just being the bold moron that he is, which makes me think, if you're going to be a moron, just be bold about it. Just be all out there, you know. Actually, you guys don't struggle with that. You are bold moron, so don't worry about that. But Peter's like, Peter's like, you know, this is good that we're here. Yeah, you think so, Peter? I think it is good, you know. And let's build some tents and we'll build a place for you. And then they disappear, but then God speaks. And God says, this is my son. Speaking of Jesus, with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says this. This is the most important part. Listen to him. Okay, Moses and Elijah spoke for God, but he says, listen to Jesus. He's the one we are supposed to listen to. Remember, Hebrews has a very practical purpose to it. He wants to show us Jesus is greater so that we'll listen to him. And the point here in our text is so that we don't harden our hearts towards Jesus. That's really what he's talking about. We can harden our hearts towards him. And then he transitions not just to Jesus being better than Moses, but he transitions to the people who follow Moses and Jesus. Point number two is don't harden your hearts towards Jesus. That's really his point of this part of the sermon. Don't harden your hearts towards Jesus. So in verse 7, look down at verse 7 with me. So he says, Jesus is greater than Moses, who is the greatest of the Old Testament servants of God. 
And then in verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Take note of this, okay? As the Holy Spirit says. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 95. Which I love. I love how he does this several times in this sermon. How he ascribes a scripture to the Holy Spirit, which is accurate. It's true. The Holy Spirit, God is the capital A author of the Bible. So there was a human author to Psalm 95, but he's saying the Holy Spirit ultimately is the author of Psalm 95. And then he begins to quote Psalm 95, which is talking about Numbers 13 and 14, which we're going to read next month in your Bible reading plan if you're reading along. So if you want to know what does the middle of Numbers when I'm reading this mean for me today, turn to Hebrews and he'll tell you how to interpret it today. So Psalm 95 is talking about Numbers 13 and 14 where God had delivered the people of God from their enemies out of Egypt. He had freed them from slavery. He parted the Red Sea. He had given them his law on Mount Sinai. He gave them these instructions for the tabernacle. His glory descended in the midst of them. You remember in Exodus and Numbers, there was this pillar, this cloud by day and this fire by night that led the people of God every day. I mean, they just looked up and there was a fire in the sky. And when the fire moved, they packed up and followed that wherever it went. God was leading them miraculously. God provided manna for them every single day, twice on Friday. So they, on the Sabbath, they had a portion already collected for the next day and it wouldn't go bad. God provided for all of their needs. And yet what happened in Numbers and what Psalm 95 is talking about is they hardened their hearts towards God. They started grumbling and complaining and they started arguing and they didn't trust God. They gave into unbelief. Even though God was providing and being generous and giving everything they needed, their hearts were hardened by sin and they gave into unbelief. At one point, as you read through your Bible reading plan, when you get to Numbers 14, it shows how deceived they are because they're, they're tired of following Moses and they start trying to recruit Joshua or Caleb and they actually say, let's find someone who will lead us back into slavery. We'd rather go back to slavery than keep living like this because their hearts were so hardened by their sin. And what happens is, you see in verse 10, is it provokes God's anger. And God says, you know, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what God did with that generation is because of their sin and their hard hearts, he said, you're not going to enter the promised land. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason that this, the author of Hebrews brings this up for, for us today is because it's an example for us. It's a negative example. So the Bible has positive examples for us to learn from and it has ne negative examples. This is a negative example that is meant to teach us something. This is what 1 Corinthians 10.6 says, which is also talking about numbers and that generation who didn't believe God. 1 Corinthians 10.6 says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So we learn from them. We're supposed to learn something from their examples. One of the themes of Hebrews... One of the things we're going to come back to again and again 
is God punished them for their sin. So Moses was leading them. Moses was a great leader. God had called Moses. They didn't follow Moses, and God punished them. And since Jesus is better than Moses, one of the things he's going to keep arguing is if they were punished for not obeying Moses, and we have something better than Moses, if we don't follow Jesus, if we turn away from him, the punishment for us is going to be much worse than the punishment was for them. We're going to hit this in Hebrews chapter 10 because some of the texts, we talked about this at Brenner last month, are hard to read. I mean, it just really sounds like even our text today, you know, that you don't fall away from the living God. It's really strong language, but he's saying if we turn away from following Jesus, since he's so much greater than everyone else, the punishment for us is going to be worse than it even was for the people of God who refused to follow Moses. And then the application for us, the point is in verse 12. Look again with me at verse 12. This is the point from their negative example, okay? Take care, brothers, Christians, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Give attention to this. Learn from their negative example. Watch your heart. Guard your heart. Think about your heart. Consider Jesus and how great he is and watch your heart. Be careful with it. We need to be vigilant so that unbelief doesn't get hold of our hearts. And I really, as I was reading this text last week and this week, I think like verse, I feel like verse 12 and 13 are really a great text for teens. Because as a teenager right now, you guys are in a transitional time. So you are transitioning from being children to becoming adults. And part of that transition, we talk about this at Relay quite a bit, but part of that transition is owning your faith. So it's taking ownership of your faith and your belief in Jesus. So it's a good word for us to take care that we don't have an evil, unbelieving heart because we want to take take ownership of our faith, which means we move from doing things because your parents tell you to follow Jesus, you know, or because your parents do these things to doing it yourself because you love him and you want to follow him and you trust in him and you have a conviction in your own heart that you are a disciple of Jesus. And one of the things I've seen over the years for many teens, not, not all teens, but for many teenagers, is they go through a season of wrestling with this. So you're transitioning from being a child to becoming an adult. You're taking ownership of your faith. You're having to make decisions. What do I believe? What do I think? And for a lot of teens, that can raise doubts. What, you know, goes from what do I believe to what do I believe? And and what do I think about that? And do I believe that? My parents told me that. And those doubts can go one of two directions. Okay, doubt's not a bad thing. It's good to ask the question, what do I believe? What do I think about that? Have I taken ownership of my faith? That's a good question. Doubt can actually be a good thing when it leads to answers in your life because you ask the question, what do I think? Why did Jesus do this? What is happening in the Bible? Do I believe this is the word of God? And when you get answers to those questions, it leads to faith in God. I asked this question and I got this answer and now I trust God. 
But if we're not careful and we don't actually ask the questions, doubts can actually lead to unbelief. If we just keep them in and we never actually answer them, we're just critical. And we ask the question and we don't actually want an answer. We just want to criticize what our parents have said or criticize what we hear at church. And that's when that doubt can lead to unbelief. And so the scripture for us tonight is take care. Guard your heart. Get answers to your questions. Seek God and His Word because Jesus is so much better than anything else you're going to find out there. You can search every religion. You can go to every, every, any other text, religious text, and Jesus is better than everything else. That's why we trust in Him. And the reason we give in to unbelief is because of what verse 13 says. Look at verse 13. So take care, brothers. Don't, don't, don't be like them. Don't give in to this negative example of grumbling and complaining against God. But, verse 13, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what's happening when our hearts are being hardened toward Jesus. Sin is deceiving us. Remember the Garden of Eden where Eve was deceived by Satan. And she questioned, did God really say this? And she began to question whether God was really good or withholding something good from them. And she was deceived and she had unbelief. She didn't trust God and then she sinned. And you're going to find the same pattern true in your life. We get these, these deceptions. We're deceived, these thoughts. And then we question God's goodness. And then we disobey God. That's how sin works. It is deceptive. And nobody is exempt from this. Every single one of us are sinners. And sin by nature is deceptive. So the question isn't, is sin trying to deceive you? It is. The question is, are you aware of it and are you fighting against it? I read this story recently from a zookeeper about raccoons. This is very random. I was interested in this story because, no kidding, we were in McKay's bookstore and there was a lady walking around in the bookstore with a raccoon on her shoulder, a live raccoon, a baby raccoon that had been growing up and she had found this raccoon and claimed it as her own and she was treating it as a pet. And so I read this story about a zookeeper and raccoons and I was like, I want to learn about raccoons because I saw this crazy lady at McKay's with a raccoon on her shoulder, you know? This is what he said. He says, uh, well, okay, he says this. He says, raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months. After that, they often attack their owners. So they're very good pets until they're two years old and something happens and they attack their owners. He says, the zookeeper says, since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a fight, I felt compelled to mention the change coming to a pet raccoon owned by a young friend of mine, Julie. She listened politely as I explained the coming danger. I'll never forget her answer, he said. It will be different for me, she said. And she smiled as she added, Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. <laughs> Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason at all. 
And I thought, man, I want to find that lady from McCaves and tell her this is coming. But I also, the, uh, the guy's a Christian who wrote this, and he said, sin too often comes dressed in an adorable guise. And we think, it would never do that to me. You are deceived. If you think it's going to be different for you, listen, sin shows no partiality. It is inside each of us, and it is deceptive. And what, hardened, what, what happens here in our text is he's just, he loves them. And he's saying, don't be deceived by sin. Don't let your heart be hardened by sin. Don't be like them who God provided everything and was so kind and gracious and so merciful. And he did all these miracles for them and they grumbled and complained and they wanted to go back to slavery because their hearts were hardened by sin. Don't let this happen to you is the point. So how do we fight this? Well, verse 13, he gives us the answer. To combat the lies of sin, we exhort one another every day. We encourage each other. That's what he says. Look at verse 13. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. We remind each other Jesus is better. He is better than sin. He has conquered the grave. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. He is the treasure in the field that we go and sell everything else for so we can get that treasure. That's how good Jesus is, and he's encouraging them that they need community to fight sin, which is true for us as well. We need community. We need others. This makes all the difference, okay? I love this. Saying you want to fight sin, you know what you need? You need the people around you. You need other people encouraging you every single day. And there's two main groups that are going to do that for you right now in your life, okay? Two groups are going to Guard your heart from the deceitfulness of sin so that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. Group number one is your parents. They are your best friends. They, want, they, do, they love you so much. They don't want you to have an evil, unbelieving heart. So they're going to exhort you every day to follow Christ, to honor Christ, to trust Christ. And number two is the church, the community that God has for us to help fight this. Both of these groups are so important as you transition through the teen years into adulthood okay your parents and the church one of the saddest things I see today one of the saddest things plaguing the American church a lot of people would say is how many teens don't stay in community as they transition to college and as they transition to independence, right? So I'm turning 18, I'm get, or I'm turning 16, I'm getting my license, I'm turning 18, I'm becoming independent, I'm making my own decisions. And sadly, one of the things that I think sin deceives them into thinking is I'm an independent person now, which is a total lie of the devil. Okay, we never are independent. We grow into adulthood and own our faith, but we are just as much dependent on God as others as when we were little kids. We need other people. So don't believe the lie, okay, as you transition that, oh, now I leave my parents. Okay, your relationship changes with your parents, but you need them. You need their wisdom. You need their exhortation. You need their accountability. You need the church in your life. Don't fall into this trap of being removed from community as you transition into this new phase of your life that's so important. You need 
community. And so I want to encourage you. Plug into community. Plug into fellowship. Encourage one another. Fellowship. Talk about the Lord. Talk about what you're reading. Talk about Jesus. Okay, talk about these things. Encourage one another. And I love how he says this in verse 13. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Because what that means is there's no exceptions to doing this. Okay, tomorrow, right now, we call it tomorrow. But when we get there tomorrow, we're going to call it today. And we exhort one another. And right now, Friday is going to be Friday. But when we get to Friday, Friday will be today. And we exhort and encourage one another. And I love this. There's no days off from encouragement and exhortation and community. We need it every single day of our lives. I want to finish with this story I read about Houdini. Do you guys know who Houdini is? Have you guys heard of him before? So Houdini was a world-renowned escape artist. On March 10th, 1904, he was challenged by a London newspaper to a contest. So they liked doing this at the time. What they wanted to do was they were going to handcuff him with six locks on each handcuff and nine tumblers on each lock. So basically what that means is they thought it would be impossible for Houdini to get out of this real lock and handcuff they were going to put him in. So they had this night where thousands of people gathered to watch the challenge and they handcuffed him with all these locks and Houdini, after being handcuffed, disappeared into this box to begin his escape. 20 minutes go by And after 20 minutes, Houdini pops out of the box and the crowd goes wild until they realize that the handcuffs were still on him. Houdini smiled at the crowd and then he goes back into the box. Okay, 15 minutes pass and once again, he pops out of the box and the crowd goes wild and Houdini smiles and he says to the crowd, I just needed to stretch my legs for a minute and then he pops back into the box. 20 more minutes pass by and he pops up again and the crowd this time is like, okay, like, is this for real? And it was, and he still had the handcuffs on, but he takes a pocket knife out of his vest and he begins to cut off his jacket and shirt because he was getting hot in the box. So he cuts off his jacket and then he goes back in the box one more time and finally, 10 minutes later, Houdini pops out of the box holding the handcuffs and the locks and the crowd goes wild and a reporter asks him afterwards why did you keep popping out of the box and Houdini replied that he needed to hear the encouragement from the crowd so I just needed to hear the encouragement from the crowd to keep going it was so hard and I thought man what a, what a picture of the Christian life you know we go into our day our activities school work whatever we're doing and it's kind of like we, we pop up and we just need encouragement from one another. Be faithful. Trust the Lord. Let me pray for you. You know, you're going to work right now. Can I pray for you that you'd be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ? You're going to school right now. Can I pray for you to honor God and how you walk through this day? I know it's going to be boring and I know you're not interested and I know there's a temptation to not try. Can I pray for you? We just need to pop up over and over throughout the day. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying to us. Jesus is so much better He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the priests and the prophets that came before him. He's a better sacrifice for sin. Let's not harden our hearts towards him. Let's not let sin deceive us. Sin is constantly talking. 
constant accusations, constant temptations. Sin is constantly saying to us, you're going to have more fun over here. Don't listen to them. They don't really care for you. Sin saying, it's making all these promises to us. And the way we fight that is together we encourage one another. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to have a time of discussion tonight. Father, I pray for these teenagers tonight, and I pray for their hearts, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would guard their hearts from temptations. Pray that none of them would be led astray by Satan and by accusations and by sin, and that they would fight the deceitfulness of sin. And I pray... My prayer tonight is that these teens would experience fellowship and encouragement. Fellowship with their parents, encouragement and exhortation from their parents, fellowship with one another, encouragement and exhortation from one another, and you would unite our hearts together to fear your name, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we got time tonight for some discussion time. So three questions for you. So we're doing this in family. If you in families, if your family's not here, just jump in with a friend and their family. They'd love to lead you through these questions. So little icebreaker question. I just thought it'd be funny. Who was your hero when you were a little kid? And who would you say is your hero now? So parents, you can answer this too and talk about who your hero was when you were a little kid. Number two. The people of God grumbled and complained and tested the Lord, even though he provided for everything they needed. How are you tempted to grumble and complain towards God? And we're trying to see where sin is deceiving us. Because scripture tells us not to complain against God, but sin will deceive us. So where are you tempted to grumble and complain? And the number three, do you ever wrestle with doubt about your faith? How can your parents and friends encourage you and exhort you so that you don't give in to unbelief? So we've got about 10 minutes for, for discussion time and then the bands after that is going to come up and lead us in a song.